ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Last night was a big night in the Harry Douglas household. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. I am Amber Wilson. He is Harry Douglas. We are taking you up until 7 p.m. Eastern. You can always tweet to us at Amber W790 at HDouglas83. You can also reach out to us on the Canty call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So the Atlanta Hawks made easy work last night of the Charlotte Hornets, 132-103. to 103. The Pels also got by the Spurs, 113-103. to 103. We will get to the Pelicans a little bit later this segment, but let's start with Harry Douglas's Hawks. Now, on Tuesday's show, let's remind the audience, Harry, what you said. Here was Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio on Tuesday. Listen, Trey Young, the young man right now averaging 28, nine assists, has done it since he came in the league. I think his first year in the league, he's been in the league four years. His first year is the only year he averaged under 20, and that was 19 points. Trey Young last year taking the Atlanta Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals, and if it wasn't for a step on his ankle, yes, I still believe it. I believe they would have beat the Milwaukee Bucks if his ankle wouldn't have got stepped on. I I believed it then. I believe it now. Trey Young is in full effect. I cannot wait to be in state farm arena to watch ice tray ice tray the game and you did watch ice tray last night maybe not at the beginning of the game but by the end of the game he was ice tray how you feeling today harry douglas well it's funny because the hawks right i'm at the arena last night and uh the actual hawk the, the hawk the mascot his name is harry the hawk and i felt like him last night so it's only right for me to lead this show today by making noises that a hawk makes Trade a game. Harry ice, Douglas ice, does a ice. really unusually good hawk. I mean, did you know you had that in terms of talents uh, in your belt here? Like you, you knew that like is animal noises one of your fortes or is it just a hawk's thing? Well, you know, I can actually sing, Amber. So I have a oh. lot of things in my in my arsenal that I don't I don't always bring out. I, I oh, brought yeah, it out on the right. show before, like in the past, you know. So on ESPN Radio. So on Sundays, usually on prime time, is when I bring out my vocal cords and let everybody know that I can sing as well. But this is not about me today. You want to know who it's about? Who is it's it about? about the Atlanta Hawks because the Atlanta Hawks from the three point line last night shot fifty percent. They were 16 for 32. And Trey Young, the game last night, Trey Young didn't start fast, right? Um, scoring wise. But one of the, the areas I, I think Trey Young has grown in is being a floor general in orchestrating things and getting everyone involved and putting everyone in the right positions to have success. He did that last night, even though he wasn't scoring early on. Um, I thought he did a great job getting uh, Kevin Hurt of the ball. Um, in his spots, and I love what Mina Kimes uh, text. Kevin Herter is a silent killer for the Hawks. And now I, I, I wrote underneath her message, and I used some words that I probably can't say on here, and I was like a mm-mm killer, Mina, a killer. Not with E-R on the end, but with an A on the end, right? With an A at the end of it. 
So Kevin Hurter did his job last night. A guy that I'm very high on with the, in the Atlanta Hawks organization is DeAndre Hunter because he's a two-way player. He's a guy that can, can defend very, very well. But when you need them to score, he can score. He can score from the three-point line. He can score slashing. He can score from the mid-range game. He shoots free throws very well. He can, he's another ball handler on the court, especially now that you got John Collins out for the Atlanta Hawks. He's been out for a while. Potentially could come back if they make it uh, beat the Cavs on, on, on Friday and make it to play against the Miami Heat. You're a Miami Heat to be exact, Amber Wilson, so you know I'm rooting for that as much as possible. So we can get on here together and go back-to-back, head-to-head against uh, Hawks against the Miami Heat. But – I'm proud of the Hawks last night because this entire year defensively um, was not a defense was not a bright spot for them. And they showed up last night. It was multiple times where they had LaMelo ball shooting off balance shots, shooting one leg runners all off balance, and he couldn't get it going. But I like this Hawks team because you see their star player last night, Trey Young, uh, struggle early, but they still maintain the lead. A guy like Clint Capella doing it on the defensive end, um, altering shots, but at the same time, the pick and roll with Trey Young and the lobs and the hustle plays, everything was there last night, and I'm excited for this team. You mentioned it, that Trey Young got off to a slow start, 3-13 and 13 from the field last night, and it is time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. But even as his shots kept missing, the Hawks kept scoring. I mean, they had 60 in the first half, and a lot of that, Harry, had to do with the fact that Charlotte was keying in on Trey Young, and that is the greatness of Trey Young. Even when he is being defended and he is not having such a good game in the first half there, it eases up the defense on everybody else, and so they were able to really step up that entire supporting cast that you just mentioned, stepped up in a very big way. And then the Hornets tried to change their defensive strategy there in the second half because they realized it, and Young absolutely roasted that. Mm -hmm. He roasted the bigs that Charlotte it put on the floor it Trey Young is one of those players Harry that is just indefensible I mean there's just no way it feels like to defend him because even when you put multiple players on him then it's just making it too easy for everybody else on the court but man that dude can create shots like few people in the entire NBA can like he is in that elite elite category in terms of making his own shot and in terms of difficult shots and that has everything to do why this Hawks team as disappointing as they were through the first half of the season like this is a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals last season and it's all because of that because you can't defend Trey Young because he always makes you pay for it on the big stage under the bright lights and that's like exactly what last night felt like to me where man the Hawks were just this game was only enjoyable to Harry Douglas and everybody else in Atlanta like otherwise (laughs) if you're just out here like me with no stake in the game this was not a good game last night everybody was asleep by the second half of this game because the Hawks were so dominant and to represent the Hawks if y'all wondering where I'm at right now I'm in Atlanta right now so I have my basketball underneath my foot because I want to show as as much respect as I can for the Atlanta Hawks because a lot of people counted them out this year. But they fought, and it was a disappointing regular season, especially coming off the year that they had last year, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals and securing a spot in the playoffs um, in 2021. So, yes, it was a little bit of a down year. But all you can ask for is an opportunity. They made the best of the first opportunity last night versus the Charlotte Hornets. Now they have another opportunity versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I'm looking forward to this game on Friday. And Amber, me and you are back here tomorrow as well, uh, 3 to 7 p.m. I'm going to be probably crazier tomorrow because tomorrow is game day. 
Tomorrow is game day. If they get past the Cavs, the Hawks will officially be in the playoffs. Although, frankly, this nonsense about not calling the play in the playoffs, it to me is just it's semantics. The it's the because playoffs. this is the postseason, baby. This is yes. the playoffs. And, man, this these play-in games absolutely have a playoff atmosphere. And last night's did have that. And so if they advance past the Cavs, whoever wins uh, tomorrow night's matchup uh, with the Hawks and the Cavs will advance to play number one-seeded Miami Heat. As you mentioned, that series, I believe, would start on Sunday uh, at 1 p.m. But the Hawks were incredibly aggressive last night. Vince Carter, ESPN's NBA analyst, spoke about how the Hawks were so dominant. They pushed the pace and def- they defended. They, they, they defensively, they just made things tough, got one shot, got the rebound, and they just took off running and they were just getting layup after layup. You said 26 points in the paint. DeAndre Hunter hadn't been playing great basketball, but he's been playing okay. But he had a phenomenal third quarter, 16 points. Seven for eight shooting. I mean, and then Trey Young puts in 14. That's 30 points amongst the two of them of the 42 when the Hornets scored 24 points, and that's it. So they understood their experience, their playoff experience, their deep run, I think, has played paid dividends this year, even though they, they struggled early. But you can see they understood how to play the game, came out in the third quarter, and took care of business. That was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. On the other side of things, LaMelo Ball uh, was 4 for 14 in a blowout playoff loss play into the Pacers last season. And yesterday he was 7 of 25 in a very similar blowout play-in loss to the Atlanta Hawks. So two back-to-back very disappointing performances by LaMelo Ball and the Charlotte Hornets in play-in games in back-to-back seasons. We will get into that more further in the show. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. But coming up, are the Pelicans primed to make a postseason run? Their superstar player thinks so. Let's go ahead and start unpacking that game. Of course, I mentioned there were multiple games last night in the NBA. Harry Douglas, I'm sure you weren't keyed in so much on Pelicans and Spurs, but Pelicans did get it done behind the greatness of C.J. McCollin, 113-103. Let's bring in Andrew Lopez, ESPN's NBA reporter, to talk all things Pelicans. And, Andrew, let's start here. The Pelicans were impressive, and obviously C.J. McCollum was unbelievably impressive last night. He poured in 32. What has he brought to this team since being acquired? How big has this move been for New Orleans? Look, moments like last night, I know it's a 9-10 play-in game. I know, you know, there's still another game to go before they could even make the playoffs. But games like last night were why the Pels traded for C.J. McCollum right before the trade deadline. He has... Uh, brought some leadership. He has brought, as Willie Green said last night, a, a calming force uh, to the team. Uh, you know, CJ came out. Brandon came out hot. Brandon Ingram came out hot last night. Had 11 points in the first quarter, uh, but CJ was was cooking as well. Had 19 in the second quarter. Was seven to seven. Had 27 of his 32 in the first half, uh, and he really just kind of set the tone for the team. Uh, who was kind of you know there there were not a lot of guys on that team with postseason experience period i mean uh jonas valanciunas may be the i think the nba leader in playing games now with four uh, over the least played in one every season but what you saw last night was cj kind of being the adult in the room if you will and kind of getting everybody on the same page andrew i thought uh one of the key things in that game last night was C.J. McCollum and, and Brandon Ingram being aggressive, right? Aggressive to the point yeah. to where you had a, D- a DeJounte Murray 
in foul trouble early. You had a, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this name right, Potel. Uh, uh, he had him in foul, turry, uh, foul, foul trouble early as well. Moving forward, is that something that both of these guys are going to have to do, be more aggressive to try to get the opposing team's uh, star players in foul trouble? Yeah, I think last night you had, uh, between the two of them, I think it was maybe 31 or 32 drives, which is basically just a paint touch, um, which really just puts pressure on those defenses. Uh, Jakob Pertl was was in foul trouble early. Uh, DeJounte Murray had three fouls in the first half, and I think uh, CJ even mentioned that in his postgame presser uh, that, you know, getting CJ, I mean, getting DeJounte in foul trouble early was really what, uh, kind of got him out of rhythm all night. The other thing was Herb Jones and his defense, uh, which was uh, outstanding last night on on DeJounte. But, uh, you know, it, when those two are going, we talked about it in shoot-around with both of those guys um, yesterday, or maybe it was, no, I think it was Devontae Graham, but was ta- talking about it. When you have two guys who can score at all three levels, the, uh, the efficiency at which those guys do, it puts a lot of pressure on the defense because if you got a guy who just wants to get to the rim and can shoot threes, all right, well, you know, he's probably not going to stop for the midi. Uh, CJ and Brandon will take that midi. They will score from everywhere. And I think that was kind of uh, one of the key points of yesterday. And it's going to be a key factor if they, uh, if they want to get by the Clippers and make it into the playoffs. Andrew Lopez, ESPN NBA reporter, joining Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. So, Andrew, this was their first uh, play-in tournament appearance for the Pelicans. And last night, it was quite the environment at Smoothie King Center. This (laughs) play-in tournament, I think, generally for the NBA has been a wild success in terms of creating a playoff-type environment. But Willie Green said after the game that it was so loud in there that they could barely hear each other. There's a lot of piling on when it comes to that market in New Orleans as a basketball market. What do you make of what you saw from the crowd last night at Smoothie King Center? And and do you think that that's sustainable moving forward? It's going to be sustainable if they keep winning and keep putting a good product on the floor. That's always been the case uh, in New Orleans when it comes to basketball. I remember, um, you know, you go back to even one of the first years, I think, uh, you know, before 2005, before Katrina took the team away for a couple of years and they were in Oklahoma City. That those first couple of years when the team was there, things were uh, moving in the right direction. After that, they had the 06, 07, 07, 08 teams uh, that made some runs in the playoffs with Chris Paul. You go back to 14, 15, where it was another a game against the Spurs, I remember, that was you know, going into – they had to win that game to make the playoffs. They have had atmospheres like that before. And, in fact, C.J. McCollum mentioned it last night. Uh, he has heard the Smoothie King Center – like that before, except for him, it was uh, kind of the reverse because it was when the Portland Trailblazers were being swept by the Pelicans uh, in the playoffs back in 2018. And he was uh, obviously a member of the Blazers at that point. So when, when they have a winner in New Orleans, when the team is playing well, you know, the city will support them. And I think that's what you saw last night. And I think even if they don't get by the Clippers on Friday, uh, there will be some, some optimism going into next season. Uh, based on how they finished this year. Now, I want to talk about that matchup versus the Clippers. The Pelicans, they are 3-1 versus the Clippers this year. How do you see this game faring out, and what matchups are you looking forward to as well? Yeah, well, they are 3-1, three, three and one, but the, the last game against the uh, the Clippers uh, did not go so well. That was, a, uh, I think, a 20-point win 
for LA. I think, uh, you know, Pels had their full kind of complement of guys in that game, but, you know, maybe just maybe that game being their fourth night or fifth night in LA after, you know, uh, also playing the Lakers two days before that, maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. but I, I think <laughs> I get what you mean. They, you know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> If if they can get by that and do what they were doing against the Clippers early in the year, which is playing better defense, I think you have a, a better shot to to come away with it. I mean, nobody nobody in that last game really played well. Um, you know, Brando wasn't getting going, CJ wasn't getting going, JV wasn't getting going. Uh, JV has had some success uh, against the Clippers when they you know uh, they kind of allow him to shoot. I remember there was a game earlier this year where he made seven threes. Uh, in a game, and they were running pin-down screens for JV to get open, uh, which was wild to kind of see. But uh, I think the key there is going to be for the Pels, you, you have to play defense in that game. Um, you know, I think the Clippers hit 21 in the game. They won 21 threes uh, in the game. They won there by 20 or so. Uh, and if you want to get going, you're going to have to get Brandon going downhill. You're going to have to get CJ going downhill like we talked about before. Get in that mid-range and then, you know, Hope they hope that Paul George doesn't have a, a Paul George uh, type game like he's had against them before. I know he didn't go off much in that last game. He was liable. He got a lot of guys other going, but I think if you can kind of contain Paul George and kind of force other guys to make plays on you, I think you'll you'll have a, a much better chance to uh, to advance to the first round. Andrew Lopez, ESPN NBA reporter on with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN radio. So I hate to ask you, Andrew, about the guy who didn't play in last night's game, but I've got (laughs) to do it because none of us could ignore that Zion Williamson was doing 360 dunks in pregame warmups. I don't I don't understand what the point of this is. Like, are we going to see him in this postseason? And if we're not, then why do we need him out there doing 360 dunks and warm up? Is he just teasing the Pelican fans? I don't I don't really understand this situation with Zion. I, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily teasing Pelicans fans or trying to talk to Pelicans front office members at the same time. I think look, he understands to 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 a certain degree of what the team is trying to do, right? Everybody knows when you're coming back from a foot injury, it's, it's hard, right? And he has had some setbacks this season and the Pels want to make sure everything is as in perfect condition as can be. Um, When you go back and look, yeah, maybe, you know, there were times where they're going to try to bring him back with, you know, maybe 40 or 50 games left in the season. But at at this point, if you have maybe, you know, just one series, uh, he looks like he is progressing that way, but I, I think it is still going to be a ways away. I don't, you're not going to see him uh, against the Clippers. I would highly doubt you would see him against the Phoenix Suns um, unless something changes uh, over the next few days. And I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, it is nice to know that he can still throw those down uh, whenever he wants to. I guess it'd be a lot nicer if he was actually doing it in games. In but game, Andrew yeah. Lopez, yeah, he has to be an <laughs> NBA reporter. Andrew, thanks so much for some of your time. No problem. Thank you, guys. So sticking with that Zion Williamson conversation, are we overhyping his potential return then to this Pelicans team? Harry and I will discuss that next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Apparently, Zion Williamson can play basketball, just not during games. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. 
So fans who tuned into ESPN's pregame coverage of San Antonio and New Orleans last night, they got a little extra treat, Harry Douglas. They saw Zion Williamson on a basketball court doing basketball things. That included a 360 dunk during his pregame workout. And then we found out that there's no chance we're seeing him. And oh, by the way, we're not seeing him against the Clippers either. The Pelicans take on the Clippers after getting past the Spurs. Pels Clippers is tomorrow night, a 10 p.m. tip-off. So are you frustrated, Harry Douglas, by what you're seeing out there? Because I guess my situation is this when I'm looking at Zion Williamson. What is the point? Like, what are we doing? Like, great. Cool, bro. You can do the 360. Or we saw you on a, a bouncy basketball court a few weeks ago, looping it between your legs and dunking it. Sweet deal. When am I going to actually see you doing this in a game? Because if you're not doing it in a game, then what does it matter? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I want to see Zion Williamson doing this in a game. And not only that, I'm used to seeing him play above the rim. He uh, still lacking a little bit there. You know what I mean? So it, it lets me know he still isn't where he wants to be. Talking about that lift? And, yeah. And he, he, still looks, he still looks a little heavy as well. Okay. Doesn't, doesn't look like the way he was, uh, the way he did when he was playing – uh, and I know it's hard to do that with a foot injury and trying to get back in shape and that whole nine. But my thing with Zion is, does he want to be in New Orleans? Because I love the culture that Willie Green is building down there uh, with the Pelicans. You you made a trade. They got C.J. McCollum. Um, he's doing great things. You have Brandon Ingram, who showed up tremendously last night and always has since he's been there. Uh, Valanchunas, I like him as a big um, Jose Alvarado, I like him. I think he played at Georgia Tech right here. I think that's where I remember seeing him play at Georgia Tech. But he, the way he hustles and, and, and makes those spark plays when the Pelicans need him, I like what he brings to the table. And I'm interested to see, does Zion want to be in New Orleans? Because from what I see, I like the culture, um, especially of late, that Willie Green, the head coach, is building for the Pelicans. I think that's why I've soured on Zion because I, I think I'm frustrated by a player who I've seen the greatness, but I've seen it limited. But I mean, he's been an absolute stud when he's been out there. He's averaged 27 points over seven boards, you know, almost four assists on 61.1% shooting from the field during that 2020-2021 season, which was the most work that we ever got out of Zion Williamson. But there's been these rumors around Zion for so long, whether it's the injuries and the weight issues, but also this idea that his family's unhappy in New Orleans or this idea that before he's even drafted to the Pelicans that he doesn't want to go to the Pelicans. And I know that the Pelicans haven't been the most well-run organization in the past. I understand that. First of all, you're never the number one overall pick and go to a good organization. I always feel like that expectation is wildly overstated you're well compensated in return for going frankly to a not so good organization that's not doing the winning which is why they have the number one pick to begin with but right now you're not even the best player coming out of your draft because you haven't been on the court like the greatness the talent might be there but I would imagine that if the Pelicans could do it over again maybe they'd prefer to go with that guy who got drafted second because at least he's out there helping his team win whereas with Zion Williamson the talent only matters if you actually are out there winning games and the saltiness that 
reportedly exists with him and that organization just feels so premature to me. Like if you're Anthony Davis and we've seen you do stuff in the NBA and you grow tired of an organization that you don't think is a good one, fine. That's one thing, even if he had durability issues. But with Zion Williamson, what has he done in the NBA? Like what has he accomplished to be able to kind of force his way out or control his own destiny or be sour, frankly, towards a situation? And then on top of that, you see what the Pelicans are doing without him. I mean, they feel like they're headed the right direction, like you said. Now they're in a situation to potentially make the playoffs. C.J. McCollum said that there's bright things in the future for this team. And frankly, he would be right if it was McCollum and Ingram and Zion Williamson. Imagine what that would look like if Zion actually was committed to doing the work and getting back out there and committing himself to that organization in the future. Tim Legler, ESPN's NBA analyst, was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. He agrees with my frustration regarding Zion Williamson. For me, man, no. I'm, I'm, I'm scared off that by his availability and his long-term viability as an NBA player. Maybe that's being too hard on him. You know, you, and you want, you, listen, we all want him to succeed because he's so entertaining and he's so unique. It's just hard for me to envision that he's going to have a sustained long run of health in this league. I just think it's going to be one thing after another with him, unfortunately. And maybe it is one thing after another. And maybe it's out of his control, Harry. And we know, I mean, we've seen guys in the past, you know, the Greg Odins of the world with unbelievably statures in that league that just can't stop the injuries. But with Zion, it feels like it's more than just injuries to me because of all the other stuff that surrounds it. So I think that's why I find myself extra frustrated. Well, coming in, a lot of questions that Zion had coming into the NBA was, his play style and would that be able to be sustainable for a long period of time, the way he bounces up off the floor and plays above the rim. But then again, you see when he gets hurt, he becomes overweight. Those things were questioned before he actually got into the NBA and during the draft uh, process. Now, the thing for me when it comes to Zion, and this is my mindset when you have a player in any, any sport, right, that doesn't want to be with the organization. I'm a firm believer of if you don't want to be there, okay, we got to get you the hell out of here, right? What can we? What assets can we get for Zion Williamson and add them to the pieces that we do have because we are moving in the right direction? Because if a player doesn't want to be there, hey, he doesn't want to be there. Got to move on to to. To, to your next option. Right. And and for him to not want to be there before he was even drafted there, I mean, oh, man, like, what are we doing? That seems ridiculous no, to me. But if you came into that organization with that attitude, then maybe there's no changing that attitude. Reportedly, when they traded and got C.J. McCollum, which obviously was an excellent decision by the Pelicans, he didn't even text C.J. to welcome him to the team. There was all the reports around that and all the concerns. Now, eventually, I guess he reached out with C.J. McCollum, but I know J.J. Redick was really critical of him not making that effort when you guys are coming into his team. And Zion Williamson is supposed to be the big star on that team, right? Like he is supposed to be the face of an organization. Brian Windhorst, though, he takes the opposite view of things from legs. ESPN's NBA insider was also on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Look, I know that Zion and the relationship with the team has gone ice cold and, and, and red hot at times. Uh, I would absolutely not move on from that guy. He's a guy who averaged 27 points and 61% shooting last year. That is Shaquille O'Neal level type stuff. I mentioned that the talent is inarguable. We have seen the talent. The talent you cannot argue against. But man, does the talent matter if you're not out there and if you don't want to be there? Yeah. 
That, that, that's what it comes down to. Listen, you, you have to be available to your team to be able to average those points and do those things that, 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 that when Horst just mentioned in that clip. Also, you have to want to play there and be a part of that organization and be a part of what they're building, right? And I'll tell you this. You look at the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies, they're not a bit market team, but you get John Morant there. You get those guys winning. You get them playing a brand of basketball. Who's talking about them? Everybody is talking about the Memphis Grizzlies that, that is associated with the NBA, and the fans are as well. Right, They're talking about the Memphis Grizzlies potentially being the team that can challenge the Phoenix Suns coming out of the West. That's what happens when you draft John Morant and instead of Zion Williamson, because Zion was not available to them that, to draft. But the Pelicans could have made that decision, and maybe, in fact, they made the wrong one. Because even though we have seen the greatness from Zion and Snippets, it's far more important when you get the player that commits to your organization, like, to your point, Jaw has done with Memphis. You're never going to be a top three pick and go to some amazing win championship now well-run organization, right? Like, that's typically ain't how it works but you can see to your point what happens when the player comes in in 2019 and then commits himself to the organization and is actually out there and actually embraces where he is so we'll still wait to see how this uh, drama unfolds with Zion Williamson but it doesn't feel like frankly we're going to see it here in these playoffs certainly we are not going to see it against the Clippers when the uh, Pelicans take on the Clippers again that is tomorrow night a must-win situation at 10 p.m. coming up next will either Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill regret leaving their first ballot Hall of Fame quarterbacks we'll discuss you're listening to ESPN radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas ESPN Radio. Spurs season came to an end last night with a 113-103 loss to the Pelicans in the play-in tournament. But in terms of the future of the Spurs head coach, Greg Popovich does not have time to be answering such trivial questions, Harry Douglas. Here was Pop at the post-game presser last night. I'm sorry? Do you think he'll come back? do this again Devin you oh that's that's questions inappropriate that question is inappropriate the 73 year old coach coach (laughs) has been the head coach of the Spurs for 26 seasons Harry I think I'm in the camp that if you're over 70 years old it's not maybe even 60 years old, but definitely over 70 years old. Like it is not inappropriate for people to theorize whether one day you might feel like sipping Mai Tais on your yacht and not be out here working this hard anymore. Well, you, you ask him that after the season, which it was after the season. This is after the season. You, you're right. It is after the season. My bad. But a guy like coach pop though, who has coached 26 years is the winningest coach of all time surpassing Don Nelson, who has five NBA championships. What he should have asked him is, are you going to be coaching in San Antonio <laughs> next year? Not coaching overall. That's what he should have asked him. Are you going to be coaching in San Antonio or are you going to be coaching uh, in L.A.? That's what he probably should have really? asked him. Really? You think that there's a shot that he would leave the Spurs and go take on that mess in Los Angeles? Amber, this, I don't think that does to, anything. This is what we have to start realizing when it comes to sports because everybody likes to say – you think that's a that can ha- nothing can surprise me playing in the NFL for ten years and seeing all the things I've seen. Nothing can surprise me when it comes to sports, the sports world. Nothing whatsoever. 
That would surprise me if the 73-year-old coach who is one of the greatest and gets all the respect in the world wants to go at this point in his career, go take on that mess right now in Los Angeles because that didn't work out well. And right now it doesn't seem like it's going to work out well unless they can do some, unless they can move miracles here with this roster construction. It's not going to help Greg Popovich's legacy in any way. Like, what's the purpose? I know the Spurs aren't particularly well suited to make any sort of championship run anytime soon either. How many titles does LeBron have? Four? Well, Pop has five. Pop comes in that, in that organization, they're going to listen. Pop has five. Three. Three, right? Pop <laughs> has five. More, more Wait, no, Greg four, Popovich four. has five Miami, NBA Langley, championships. He comes four. into that organization in that locker room. They don't have a choice but to listen. Yes, but I'm saying I'm not sure Pop would want any of that smoke. Not that LA that. wouldn't. ESPN Radio. This is Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. You can also give us a call on the Canty call-in line at 888-ESPN, 888-729-3776. So there is this idea out there, Harry Douglas, that a couple of the big receivers who Uh got paid and left their teams and left their future Hall of Fame quarterbacks may in fact one day regret making that decision. You were a wide receiver in the NFL. I feel yes. like you're going to have a unique perspective on this conversation. Let's let's specify this conversation to Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Are mm-hmm. either of those guys, Devontae Adams leaves Aaron Rodgers, right? One of the greatest, yada, yada, back-to-back MVP, reigning MVP. He leaves Green Bay. He heads over to his friend Derek Carr in Las Vegas. Tyreek Hill leaves Patrick Mahomes for a bag in Miami. Now Tua Tungvaloa is throwing him the football this season. Who is going to regret leaving their future Hall of Fame quarterback more? I don't think either one of these guys are going to regret leaving the situations that they were in um, because I, I see it from a different perspective. I look at Devontae Adams and him leaving Green Bay and going to Las Vegas to play for the Raiders, a team that he actually grew up watching and rooting for, uh, not to mention he's going to play with a guy who was his quarterback in college and Derek Carr, who's one of his best friends as well. Let's throw some icing on top of that as well, Amber. He was the highest paid wide receiver until Tyreek Hill came along. And saying that, he will be in the state of Nevada where he won't be receiving state income tax. That makes a lot of sense. That's a big deal. Part of the reason why I went to Tennessee instead of other places. And then other places I was looking at was Florida. Reportedly, Green Bay had offered the same money to Devontae to stay, but Green Bay, Wisconsin has the state income tax that Nevada does not have. So the money, even if the contract looked the same in terms of its offer, does not equate to the same. So he still ultimately left for more money with the Raiders. Now, another thing that's important to me is that it's not like he's going to a quarterback that's going to be a slouch. Devontae Adams is going with somebody in Derek Carr who plays the quarterback position in the NFL at a very, very high level. I love Derek Carr. 
Yes, I, I love Derek Carr, and I love the control that he has at the line of scrimmage, getting his offense into the right play um, so they can be successful. Um, now, when you look at Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill has won a Super Bowl, right? He has been to AFC Championship game at the AFC Championship game, right? He's been in Kansas City for numerous of years in the cold. Tyreek Hill now gets to go to the state of Florida with the Miami Dolphins, where guess what, Amber? They do not have state income tax as well. And he is the highest paid wide receiver. Not to mention he's going to be with a a head coach who's going to be the play caller who – had a guy named Debo Samuel, so he's going to figure out ways that he can get the football into his hands. So his touches, I don't think his touches are going to be limited. Now, the only thing with Tyreek Hill is that the off-scripted plays where you had a Patrick Mahomes just chucking the ball down the field deep, that's not to a tongue of a lower. That's why I think this offseason and them working as much as possible is going to pay. It's going to have to pay dividends. It's going to be very crucial and important for that tandem and that duo so they can try to work on some of those things, work on that deep ball. Because Tua hasn't been a deep ball uh, thrower in the NFL since he, since, he's, uh, since he arrived. So now when you look at it from that standpoint, uh, I can understand a little bit on the Tyreek Hill side. But at the end of the day, these two guys made these decisions for a reason. If they wanted to stay, they would have stayed. Right. They both so could the, have stayed. They both yes, had that they both opportunity. This a conversation stems from Michael Irving having told the New York Post that you left Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if I could have ever left Troy Aikman. I don't think I could have done that. I agree with you, though, Harry Douglas, that neither of these guys are going to regret this decision. And they're not going to regret it because it goes beyond just who's throwing me the football. If your primary consideration of your career and focus is being concerned about how good the guy is who's throwing you the football, then you would have never left these teams to begin with. But Mm -hmm. they left for other reasons. With Devontae Adams, he gets to go catch footballs from one of his best friends, his college quarterback. They have the chemistry. By all accounts, still a good quarterback quarterback. Yes, Derek Carr is not Aaron Rodgers, but he's still a very good quarterback. But also Devontae Adams maybe wanted to get away from the Aaron Rodgers situation, everything that comes with it. Maybe he wanted to get away from living in Wisconsin and maybe he wanted warmer weather. Maybe he wanted no state income tax. There was a variety of reasons, I think, off the field, off who you're catching passes with, outside of who you're catching passes with, that Devontae Adams makes that decision. It's the same with Tyree Kill. You said it. Tyreek Hill's already done it all. He's already accomplished it all. What else is there to accomplish? Well, being paid the highest out of any non-QB in the NFL, that was something still left to be accomplished. That was something that Kansas City couldn't do for him. When Devontae Adams reset the market, Kansas City was like, all right, go seek a trade. Like, we're out. We can't do this. So go ahead. Go look for destinations. And Tyreek did just that. He ends up getting the bag in Miami. He ends up getting to move to a place he was already living in the offseason that he obviously enjoyed being and yes the quarterback there is not as good as the last quarterback who was throwing him footballs but he gets paid he gets to live where he wants he gets to enjoy his life and all of the money in his bank account so I don't think frankly that Tyreek Hill is going to regret it either even though maybe it won't amount to the same level of winning that it would have amounted to had he stayed in Kansas City coming up next Baker Mayfield talking about quarterbacks he feels disrespected this is ESPN radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas